Welcome to the Dolly Mama podcast. Today I have with me my friend Becky McCoy. We're going to be navigating through um, something that's a little bit more on the rough side when it comes to parenting. And I will let Becky tell you her story, but we're really excited that you're here and listening. And I would imagine if you read the title to the podcast, you know that we're going to be dealing with the subject of grief and grief recovery and just um, walking through the process of grief. Becky has kind of an amazing story and she is still walking through this process. I will let her um, introduce herself. She's also a great friend of mine. Uh, she was our babysitter when we lived in Connecticut for a couple of years, and she was in high school, so I've known her for about 20 years, and we've somehow managed to stay in touch over these 20 years. She's a fantastic writer, and she runs retreats, and I'll let her tell you all that at the end. Welcome to Becky. Thanks, Esther. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And yeah. So Becky, why don't you just tell me a little bit about where you live, who you are, who you're the mom of, and then I'll ask you a couple more questions. Sure. I live with my two kiddos. They're four and six. We live on the the coastline, the shoreline in Connecticut. And um, we also have a golden doodle and his name is F. Scott Fitzgerald because I gave the kids a choice of like two literary names. What was the other literary name you gave them? Gatsby was the other one. Gatsby. And they chose F. Scott Fitzgerald. Yeah. So we call him Fitz. Oh, that's perfect. I love that. Yeah. It's really fun. Um, I miss Southeastern Connecticut quite a bit. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm kind of probably more surprised than anyone that I ended up back up here, but I'm remembering what a great place it was to grow up. And so it's great to raise kids here. Yeah. So I'm just going to go right into this and ask you about why you're talking about grieving today. What's a little bit of your story um, and then we'll go from there. So when my son was born um, in 2012, my dad passed away eight hours later. And my husband was in the Air Force at the time. So we were stationed on the West Coast and my family was out here on the East Coast. So I was kind of thrust into motherhood with great joy, but also great sorrow at the same time. You were really close to your dad, right? Yeah, we had a great relationship and this was the first grandkid and he was so excited about it. And so that was really difficult because I wasn't just trying to figure out how to be a mom. I was also trying to figure out how to be a mom and figure out how to not have my dad there. Right. Did he get to hear about the baby being born? Yes, but he was really sick and he was in the the end stages of his life and, and wasn't quite conscious. But, you know, my mom shared with him that the baby had been born and showed him a picture. And I mean, even like the, the nurses on his floor were all popping their head in like, is the baby here yet? Is the baby here yet? Um, yeah, it's really, really bittersweet. Very bittersweet. And then so your whole first pregnancy was really dealing with the sickness and then the subsequent death of your father. Mm -hmm. So I was really, really afraid of being pregnant again, like knowing like I know intellectually that my pregnancy does not cause cancer, right? <laughs> In someone else, right? There's no connection there. Um, but 
just still kind of having that fear. Like, what if every time I have a baby, someone dies? And so I got pregnant again and was kind of working through all of that. And my husband uh, got sick and he was diagnosed with a form of cancer that's not only incurable, but also not really treatable. Like there's basically nothing you can do uh, except for hope for the best. Um, And we, through all our research, he was a physician. So we had access to lots of like journal articles and things and we're doing all all sorts of our own research and um, found out that the longest someone had lived with this cancer after diagnosis was a year. So we knew that it would be fast, but what we didn't realize that it was from the moment he started exhibiting symptoms till when he passed away was only three months. Wow. And how far along were you? Um, When he passed away, I was about eight, eight and a half months pregnant. Wow. So your second baby. Yeah. So she was born a month after Keith died. So equally traumatic birth and newborn experience. So I don't know what it's like to parent a newborn and not also be grieving a tremendous loss at the same time. Right. Wow. And that's for a little bit over four and a half years ago now. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Becky, I, uh, I am amazed at your story. I hate your story. <laughs> Thank you. Me too. <laughs> I know. And I know that it, um, you know, caused you great sadness. And I remember those two times pretty vividly and the sorrow in my own heart for you and for your family. And, and then also for your kids, thinking about how these kids were going to grow up without a father and a grandfather. And just uh, even now I'm a little choked up thinking about how harmful that was to you. And yet here you are um, standing or sitting <laughs> And we're having a conversation. And I think that you've learned and taught me much. You're the reason, actually, for those of you out here that are listening, that that I am a writer and that I've even ventured into um, doing all of these things like a blog and a podcast. And it was uh, two years ago this weekend that you came and we had breakfast here in Long Beach Island, where we both have family houses And you said to me, just go home and write a blog. And I did. And here we are. And so I think about how instrumental you've been in my own life and how even through your process, you're still bringing lots of hope to people and lots of wisdom. So I know that my listeners and probably some people listening that are your listeners want to kind of know the things that you've learned or are learning through the process. Because as we know, um, grief isn't just about death, it is, but it could be at any loss of hope or um, expectation that we have. It could be a divorce, it could be a job loss, it could be a house, could be all the things that we thought were going to happen that did not pan out. And we're now in a big plan B or plan C or D or E. And so I just can't wait to hear the things that we can learn from you. So we've uh, talked through a few of those, and I just wanted to ask you, what's kind of one thing that you um, are learning and uh, probably have learned, and we'll go from there? I think the, the biggest thing, and you just touched on it a little bit, 
um, before I share any of the specific things is that grief is not just related to the loss of a spouse or a person. And it's any time that the things that you expected for your life don't happen. And all of those things are okay to grieve. And a lot of my own work especially in my podcast, is just helping people realize that we can lose different things, but the emotional experience may be very similar. So let's stop comparing. You know, I hear so often like, oh, you don't want to hear about my problems. They're so much less than yours. Like, no, if you're struggling, if you're grieving, you're struggling and you're grieving. You don't, this is not a competition. <laughs> so if you're listening and you have any feeling of like, oh, well, my stuff just isn't that big of a deal. Like, no, if it's hard, it's hard and that's okay. My formal training is in physics and that just goes so well with my brain in that I really like to be able to explain things and predict things and have things tie up in a neat little bow and have things work in a linear fashion. And I have learned through grieving that that's just not, that's not how life works, but that's really not how grief works. We kind of have mistakenly been taught that grief is these five stages and they happen one at a time and they happen in a certain order and you only deal with them once and then you move on and and that's not at all how it works so as I kind of learned that grief works differently than I thought it did so as I've um as I've learned to let grief be non-linear and and be messy. I've also learned to let my life and my parenting be that way too. My son is a lot like me and and so I can kind of anticipate what his disciplinary issues are going to be and and what will help him learn and grow. Uh, and my daughter is like we have almost nothing in common and so she's really challenging for me to parent because I can't anticipate anything. But grieving at the same time is kind of allowed me or forced me more accurately to kind of throw out the playbook and and just kind of fly by the seat of my pants a little bit more. And and I think that's been really great. Like I think I'm a better parent because of that. And you always say, A plus B does not equal C with her. <laughs> right? She's her own bird and that's just kind of cool and difficult. <laughs> And amazing. Yeah. yeah, and it would have been interesting because she she takes after Keith so much in that way that it would be interesting to see how parenting her would have been different if he were here. Right. And that's a loss in and yep. of itself, right? You don't have him to sort of be your yin to yang, you know, like the different parent. I love, I am such a non-formula person because I was for so long and it just doesn't work even if you're not in a state of grief, it doesn't work. And so it's kind of cool that you're saying how grief really taught you that so early on, you're not going to make all the same mistakes I made <laughs> in my formulaic parenting because you have wisdom and insight, as C.S. Lewis calls it, a terrible gift that was given to you. But you have that. And so as you parent these guys, they will have that beautiful gift that's been given to you of understanding that most young moms don't really have. So this is why, listeners, I want you to hear from Becky, because it's powerful stuff. So what else, Becky, have you um, learned in your parenting about the grief process or 
even yourself. One of the biggest things I've learned about myself is how much internal pressure I have always had to be really responsible. And for people who don't understand that feeling, I have kind of figured out to explain like I felt all this internal pressure to be awesome at everything all the time. That no matter what I do, I have to put my best foot forward and give 100% every single time to everything. And having a newborn and a two-year-old and grieving the loss of my husband, like I did not have the capacity to be awesome at anything all of a sudden. And so kind of letting go of that, either I'm an awesome, you know, parent and I'm feeding my kids all the right things and I'm making sure that they're dressed well and clean and their teeth are brushed and, you know, they're reaching all their milestones or I'm just why bother? You know, kind of learning that all I can do is my best in this moment. And I, I remember my my son, he is a little foodie and has been from birth. Like when he started eating solid foods, he loved sauteed spinach, but he would only eat it if it had lemon juice and garlic in it. Like if it was just sauteed spinach, he would like ask for me to make it the right way. And, um, And so it was always really easy to feed him because he loved everything I put in front of him. And, and after Keith died, I just didn't have the capacity to cook. Like that was just something that I just, I love cooking, but I just couldn't get really get it together. And so all of a sudden he was eating like chicken nuggets and green beans for like every single meal. And I remember (laughs) talking to a friend about it and just really struggling with that. Like, am I setting my son up for failure because I can no longer function as the right kind of mom? And she was like, Becky, your kid is eating chicken nuggets and green beans. Like he's still eating vegetables several times a day. And, you know, he, it could be so much worse. Like at least you're still feeding him, right? Like he's not starving. He's happy with it. Like, and so what if he's watching more TV than you thought maybe was the plan for your parenting? Like, it's okay. You can be a good mom in your own way and you don't you don't have to like you can mess up and you can have lower standards and your kids can still turn out great and so I'm I'm so thankful for that conversation because even now it's like well I am doing the best that I can and maybe we've had cereal for dinner like every single night this week but my kids are sleeping and they're growing and they're learning and that's that's the goal that's the minimum so right i think about how much we don't really give permission to ourselves to be where we are <laughs> and we're going to have good days and we're going to have really difficult days and times and even whole seasons yeah. of difficult times And I think about that and we really need and should, I hate the word should, but this is one should I'm all about is give ourselves great permission to be exactly where we are. And I love that your friend gave that gift to you. Hey, Becky, you have permission to be a mess. Oh, that's, that's really beautiful. And I think about how different it is to uh, learn to parent well, you're grieving. and But mo- many, many people do in hosts and hosts of ways parent at the same time that there's grief. Like you said, not just death. Yours is a kind of a salacious story. But 
everyday kind of grieving. I love that you also said not to compare. That's huge. That's again, giving people commission, permission to be right where they are. How did you parent your kids through their own grieving? I guess they were very little, but that had to be something that took place or is still taking place as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's daily conversation. So like I said, my daughter was not even born yet. And my my son was two, almost two and a half. And I remember we, um, the hospital where Keith passed away, it was about an hour from our home. And luckily, we had family like half a mile down the road. So he was able to stay with our family so I could stay with Keith at the hospital and not have to be driving an hour back and forth to be able to see him. And, you know, we didn't want to add the trauma on top of trauma of him just kind of not seeing mom or dad for however long it was going to be that we were going to be in the hospital. And so after Keith died, I, I picked him up and we had to drive back past the hospital to get to the highway to go home. And as we're driving by, he goes, oh, look, it's daddy's hospital. Go visit daddy. Mm. My mother-in-law was in the car with me and we just looked at each other. We're like, we were not prepared for this conversation yet, right? He didn't know that Keith had died. And I said, well, buddy, daddy's in heaven now with Grandpa Mike. Because we had talked about how Grandpa Mike was in heaven and, you know, tried to give him some memories of my dad, even though they never met. And it got real quiet in the car and my mother-in-law and I just almost burst into tears. We were so nervous because we were just so unprepared for the conversation. And all of a sudden he goes, look, mama, a crane. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's he's grieving so differently than we are. <laughs> right, right. And that's that's been how it's been with both kids. Just they'll kind of come over and been, be like, man, I miss daddy or I wish I wish daddy could come to the beach with us. That was a big one. I think it was two summers ago. Will daddy be at the beach? Nobody. Daddy won't be at the beach. And, but then he moves right on, right? It doesn't, it's not his grief and, and both kids. I had to teach Libby what, it, what the word dad means, right? I remember that conversation that you and I had about that. And I was sort of in shock that, you had to teach right because that. most kids grow up just having a dad and and that's you know whether or not dad is they're living with their dad uh, you know there's a dad and and for her that was not the case and so i had to teach her what it meant and for a long time she would call all sorts of men daddy just cuz she was trying to figure it out but i've learned how watching my kids grieve they feel the intensity of the grief in the moment. And once they get to the end of that feeling, they're able to just move on and go back to what they were doing. And that has been such a challenge for me because I am inclined to not really feel my feelings <laughs> and to just kind of be like, I'm sad. Why am I sad? Let me figure it out. Oh, I figured it out. Okay, now I don't have to be sad anymore. And yet I've never actually felt sad <laughs> like in that whole process. And so they really challenged me to really feel sad when I'm sad and feel angry when I'm angry. And as much as I want to model that all those things are okay, that that we will talk about daddy and we will, you know, so many people have brought up his name or asked like, oh, do you talk about it with the kids? Like, it's not a dirty little secret, right? It's their dad. And 
and we're going to talk about him and, and we're going to show emotion because I want them to grow up thinking of grief and emotions as just normal parts of the human experience and not, um, not these things that we kind of hide and keep secret and don't talk about. Right. I love the movie Inside Out just on that front. Yes. Because it was, I just think all the negative emotions are not allowed to be talked about. We hide them. And I loved that movie just to be able to bring that out, that um, all emotions are valid. And uh, I, kids are just amazing on that front that they feel exactly how they feel and you're not going to change them in the moment. And we have so much to to learn from them. I remember when my um, brother's wife got cancer and they had a 16-year-old at the time and then they had, I believe they were seven and nine. And I they spent a month with me while their mom was in treatment and just learning from them. And they were making jokes about their mom still. And they were a little older than your kids, but it was just everything. And then they would be scared at night and what's going to happen to her. But then they wrote a funny poem. And the biggest thing was we just talked about it a lot. And even at the funeral, just kept talking about her. And then they came to stay with me for another month when she passed away and just wanted to keep it as normal as we could and why not be able to talk about the sad parts? And then they would flit right away to going outside to play basketball. Or, And I actually did go to a counselor at the time who is um, a counselor for children who are going through grief because I didn't want to mess up the process. I wanted to um, just be the right aunt for them. I'm the guardian. I'm their guardian if anything happens uh, to their dad. So and I love them very, very much. And I just wanted to make sure I was handling it right. And that was one thing she said was just let them be right where they are and you'll learn from it too. And it was, it was really great. And just interesting to watch that whole thing play out in their, in their family. And now it's a few years later and people are still struggling at times and moving on at times, still walking the process. Um, I love your I love what your kids have have taught taught you and are probably will continue to teach you. Now is it weird to not for them really almost not be grieving something they didn't have? Like that's kind of a weird and not to put your own grief on them? Absolutely. It is really strange. Um because the grief comes up a lot of times as anger for me. Mm you know, the first and last days of school are really hard for me and, and like concerts and things at school that they should have a dad here. Mm. This should be something that they can celebrate with their dad and birthdays are the same too. And, and having had a really great dad myself and also now not having him, it it just kind of all these things just, compound and it's really hard but I don't it's hard to find that balance of letting them know that I'm struggling and I'm really sad and I'm really grieving but not put any pressure on them to I guess fake it would be the word right it's like they don't know they don't even know what they're missing it's not as heavy for them 
not now as they get older it will change and and the pediatrician keeps reminding me of that like as they get older they're probably going to get real angry and you might start having some acting out issues and you might just because all of a sudden they're going to realize what all their friends have and they don't right exactly that makes a ton of sense and that's a wise pediatrician yeah <laughs> very very wise pediatrician have you had like any weird surprises like about the grief process? What's been sort of your biggest surprise maybe? And I'm not, I'm talking like not necessarily a happy surprise. I'm talking about things that you thought would happen and haven't happened or. I think maybe one of the things that has been unexpected is just the amount of resilience that the kids and I have. Hmm. And it doesn't have to be pretend everything is okay or completely give up. It doesn't have to be either or. It doesn't, right? Right. That it doesn't have to be one extreme or the other. Yeah, that that we can have a really sad day and and respond accordingly and maybe cancel some plans and and get quiet and cozy for the day but tomorrow's a new day and maybe it'll be better maybe it won't like maybe it'll be another hard day but as we listen to what our body and our hearts need and intentionally pursue healing it happens and we keep going and I mean against all odds my kids are really smart and funny and healthy and you know dare I say in some ways ahead of their developmental markers and and I don't know how much credit I can take for that because I'm just flying by the seat of my pants and doing the best thing I can in the moment but you know there are so many fears at first for my children and and how will this affect them and being so angry that they're going to grow up without a dad and you know, I think of all the studies about especially boys growing up in fatherless homes mm. and just having a lot of fears about that. And yet <laughs> my kids are fine. They're great even. And and so many men have stepped in to really mentor both kids, not even just my son, and, and really be present in their lives. And And I'm so grateful for those things. I think about that. Uh, verse in Psalms where he says like that God is the um, you know the husband to the widow and the father to the orphan and I am not surprised at all that your kids have an edge because they're just have captured the heart of God you guys your family is right in the middle of the heart of God I, I, I just, I believe that with my whole heart in, in a way that mine is not. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, that's a weird thing to say, but he just has compassion for you and care for you um, in a very unique, unique way. And I, 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 I love that. I love, I love that you, your kids have an edge up. I want them to have an edge up. Yeah, right. I know. <laughs> I want them to have better than everybody. I want them to be proof that there's hope in the worst scenario that they are like a beacon of like hope and redemption and daring and oh I, I just get so excited that doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect we all know that yeah and I I think one of the things that I really struggle with as a parent is to trust 
that God will provide the opportunities that my children need because right. Like they're not going to be involved in multiple activities because there's only one of me and Mm -hmm. we're going to have to say no to a lot more things than maybe we would have if Keith were still alive or if I got, you know, had been remarried by now or whatever, just because there's only one of me and I'm tired right? So I'm not going to spend my time driving to sports things every day or this or that or the other thing. And, but not wanting that to be, you know, setting those boundaries that I know that we need, but really just praying that that will not be to the detriment of my children and that somehow they will still figure out what things they love to do and that there will be ways for them to do it without having to max out our calendars or commit to things that I know are just not good for us to commit to. I don't think that anybody looking back wishes their kids have been busier and more activities. Yeah. <laughs> you might also have another piece of wisdom there that uh, you were forced into Yeah, that we could all really... I wish I had learned um, much earlier on. And now, you know, we have had to kind of go on the journey of rest and recovery. And uh, so that might be another cute wisdom thing that you have. The last thing I just wanted to ask you, and we've talked about this, and I just want to sort of end on a note of a hope or just understanding for people who are on their own journeys, days, seasons of grief and loss, how do you navigate the difference between solitude and community? And how is that playing out for you? And I'm sure it's been in fits and starts. And how do you see the benefits to solitude and the benefits to community in your process of loss? This has been one of the greatest challenges of the last bunch of years. At first, everything in our life remains the same except for the obvious changes of losing one person and adding another one to our family. And But otherwise, I needed at least the re- relational continuity. Um, and so we still went to all the activities in church and, and all the things that we had always done before because I needed something to stay the same. And that was really helpful because we were just surrounded by all sorts of people who were committed to, to being a part of our family in the ways that they could be. I also have realized through that, that I am much more extremely introverted than I had given myself credit for. (laughs) And that I really need to be alone a lot in order to be able to function because I'm already behind, right? Like I'm, I already have all of this extra emotional um, exhaustion just from grieving. And then it was from having a newborn at this and a two-year-old and and those are lots of really exhausting things. And over the years, you know, as, as I'm healing and, and whatnot, my, my needs for being alone are, are a little bit less But trying to figure out how to balance my needs as a very introverted person with my my love of being part of communities. And um, we have a pretty great community of people where we are now that 
I, I can imagine not being part of. And yet I've had to take a lot more time away in this moment just to work through some things and, and just needed the extra time and space to do that. And it, it's really hard. It's one of those, it's definitely the biggest thing that I have to, I've had to learn to check in with myself every day. You know, am I, am I up for a big crowd today or am I up for a small crowd or do I need to just stay home and, and give myself permission to listen to my gut instead of just try and push through. Cause I spent a lot of years just pushing through just for the sake of having some kind of routine and normality. And yeah, now I'm giving myself more permission. Yeah. I love that that word has come out again. And I, I think that the one thing I've definitely been learning even today as we're talking is the whole idea of giving ourselves permission mm -hmm. just keeps coming up over and over here as, as we're talking and your self permission to be an introvert, give yourself permission to be sad, give yourself permission to be happy, um, give yourself to be alone, permission to be alone or with others and to really listen to what um, your heart is telling you. Yeah. And the, the biggest challenge of parenting while learning all of this is that like my son is the most extremely extroverted person. Like I honestly am not sure that I know anyone more extroverted than my son. He just loves people and he his happy like medium of the number of people to interact with in a day is in the hundreds. Like <laughs> he just loves being around people. And if there's ever a moment when he says, mom, I need to go home and go to sleep. This has been too much. Like I know like that is, I mean, it, it's happened maybe three times in his whole life. And, and so learning how to meet his needs and meet my needs and right. that we all have to make compromises. And it's just more of, of that just in the moment making decisions and not trying to live by a formula um, and expecting that to not end in disaster. Right. So good. Oh my goodness, Becky. I just thank you so much. I feel all good inside just listening <laughs> to you. <laughs> I know that sounds so crazy, but I just love that this stuff has come out of hiding for people and that for you and that you're willing to talk about it and you're willing to share part of yourself that a lot of people would keep hidden. And so I know um, that you're doing this all over the place. I know you're doing it in, um, in your writing and um, in the book that you're, you're writing. And I want you to tell people, especially my people who are listening, where to find you um, so that they can just keep gleaning from all of your goodness. So, and I, I've gleaned from your goodness, even today. I mean, we had a conversation before this and I still am like, oh my gosh, just keep talking. Uh, so, um, I have the privilege of knowing you personally, but I want people to find you in all the ways they can find you so that they can glean more. And so can you just tell them how to do that and what's on your plate and what are you looking to do in the future? Yeah, well, I'm kind of silly, easy to find online. So on all of social media, I'm at Becky L. McCoy. And uh, my website is beckylmccoy.com. And I host the podcast Sucker Punched. And, and we 
have lots of conversations just like this, just about really hard things that happen in people's lives and how they choose to be brave and resilient um, even when those hard things happen. Um, I also am the founder and kind of host of the group Brave Together. And, and we just kind of seek to do more of that and develop relationships um, through learning what it means to live bravely and confidently and resiliently. And, um, and uh, there have been no retreats this year, but hopefully next year we'll get going again on having the Brave Together virtual retreat. And it's just an opportunity to take a few hours and take a deep dive into examining what life is like right now. And is it headed in the direction you want it to be in and kind of, how to take stock and reevaluate and figure out what to do next and but not in a way that feels overwhelming and stressful but in a way that you feel relaxed and recharged to step back into life with some actual real things that you want to change and and not like oh that was so cool but I'm not sure how to apply it to my life um <laughs> I love that your retreat can be in people's jammies oh I it's love that it's <laughs> yeah Jammy retreat. Uh, yeah. And you're um, in school, but you're writing in the process of writing a book too, right? Yeah, slowly but surely I am in grad school for spiritual formation um, and just wanting to be really intentional with, you know, hosting communities and retreats and things um, and and working on a book, no contract yet, but um, working towards a book on anxiety and depression and and the reality of living with it and, and having a faith and how um, they can all coexist. And, and mental illness is not the antithesis of faith, but they um, they work in tandem. Thank God, because then I wouldn't be having I know, right? Tough <laughs> <laughs> luck. Mental illness is not the opposite of faith. There is the best takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Becky. And um Anybody who's listening, thank you for listening. And you can always find me on uh, dollymamanj.com. And from there, you can see all of my social media. And I have a Facebook group called the Dolly Mama NJ. I love that. And so thank you again. I really weirdly enjoyed my time with you and am really such the beneficiary of all of the good things that you are and I would say Becky that you are one great gift to the world one great gift and I appreciate everything so thank you very much thank you friend bye